Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And have you ever thought of yourself as an underdog? Or maybe you maybe you know you're an underdog or you've lived a life feeling like an underdog. We're going to talk about that today with Dr. Rebecca Ree. We're going to discuss the story of David and Goliath out of 1 Samuel. It's going to be a wonderful hour. Rebecca is a Hebrew scholar. She has uh, quite a resume. I won't go into it as often as I would like to. Because she's a regular guest, and if you've heard her before, you know how bright and intelligent and winsome and uh, her ability to communicate is spectacular. So welcome back to the show, Rebecca. Oh, thank you. I said before, and I'll say it again, it feels like coming home. It kind of does. It's just getting a cup of tea with a friend and sitting there and chatting about the most important things in the world. So I always look forward to having you on. So underdog, that's a big topic today, and I know it's going to be a fantastic hour. Yes, well, the story is fantastic, So, and it has a lot to give us. And most everybody knows, I mean, when you say the word underdog, everybody, you know, everybody thinks of Goliath and David. Even people who don't read the Bible know David and Goliath. Oh, absolutely. So they they are familiar with the, the size difference, but I don't know if yeah. they fully understand the spiritual uh, meaning behind the story, and I know that we'll touch on that today. Yes, that's what we're going to get into. So my question today as we start out was, have you ever felt outgunned by your circumstances? Yes. Like like there's opposition all around you. And that could yes. be fina- financial, medical, emotional, relational, spiritual, whatever kind of op- opposition is all around you that you're just not equipped to meet it. And my question today is, what is God looking for us for? What is God looking for in us? when we are the clear underdog in one of life's battles. Hmm. And to answer that question, I wanted to go to David and Goliath. As I said before, it's one of the most famous underdog battle stories. And before we jump into the story, which is um, found in 1 Samuel 17, I just wanted to provide a bit of a context from a few chapters earlier. So the current king in Israel is King Saul. And he has just committed a serious sin during one of his military campaigns against the Philistines. And so the prophet Samuel, who had anointed him king, informs him that God is going to depose him as king and replace him with somebody else. And Samuel says, the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. So that's where this special phrase that we get of David, a man after God's own heart, comes from. In fact, I looked it up. It's unique in all the the Bible. We only see that applied to David. That's where that comes from, is Mm -hmm. uh, Samuel's assessment of the situation as, as King Saul is about to go out and David is about to come in. So it's in David's clash with Goliath that we begin to see the goal of what an underdog should be in battle. And it's to go after God's own heart, as David does in this story. Um, and that's not 
necessarily the first thing you think of, like, oh, I'm the undergrad. I got to go after God's own heart. So let's, we're going to pick that apart a little bit and see what that actually means. And there are three lessons in particular that I want to learn from David um, as we watch what he says and does. And, and this is really his, our first glimpse of him as a character, as a person of destiny in the Bible. And so it's kind of what he does here is going to be kind of emblematic. Of, of who he's going to be later on, how we're going to see that prophecy of him being a man after God's own heart uh, fulfilled. So what I want to do right now is read for you a very abridged version of the story because it's a very long story. And I would suggest you just sort of sit back, unless you're in the car, of course, but listen, just sort of sit back, enjoy it, and listen, because it would be kind of hard to follow me because I'm skipping some little parts here and there um, that are not integral to our discussion today. So um, should I go ahead and plunge in? Uh, yes. And what uh, version are you going to be reading from? The, the New, New American Standard. New American Standard. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Rebecca Ree. As she reads from First uh, Samuel, we're going to go to uh, chapter 16 or 17? 17, chapter 17. 17. Okay. Yep. So here I go, um, starting with verse 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, scale armor, and he also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, David was the son of Jesse, and he had eight sons. And David was the youngest. Now, the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. Then Jesse said to David, his son, take now for your brother this roasted grain and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to your brothers, and look into the welfare of your brothers, and bring back news of them. So David arose early in the morning and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. Then David ran to the battle line in order to greet his brothers. And he was talking with them. Behold, Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all of the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered, thus it will be done for the man who killed him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, 
heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? When the words which David spoke were heard, they they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not not able to go against this Philistine, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments, and he clothed him with armor. And David tried to walk. David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. And he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine rose and drew near, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. Then David ran over and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. The end. (laughs) Whoa. Powerful story and well read. Nice job, Rebecca. Thank you. So, um, So this story is generally all about point of view. Who sees what and how? And what we learn from David in terms of being the underdog comes from three different conflicting points of view. So I wanted to start with the first conflict of uh, view, point of view. 
And that is David versus Eliab, his older brother. And I'm going to call this conflict the meddling versus the modeling conflict. And in the beginning of the story, we see that David's older brother, Eliab, is accusing him of meddling. He like, you just want to be a big man like the rest of us. You know, you want to be a soldier of Israel. And he says, he actually says, I know the insolence and wickedness of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. Strong words. He has like no patience for David at this point. But as the story moves forward, we learn that God is, uh, David is not so much meddling as modeling what it looks like to go after God's glory, to have a keen sense of God's honor and any offense against that honor. So the first words out of David's mouth in the whole Bible include, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And one thing to know about um, when you read Hebrew Bible stories is the first words out of someone's mouth are very important. They're often emblematic of who that person's going to be in their life over the course of, you know, their story. So right away we can see that David is taking offense on God's behalf um, with this, with uh, what Goliath has been doing. Can I interrupt? Because I would love more explanation on that last point. I find that fascinating, and I've never heard that before. The first words out of a person's mouth is sort of setting them up for the, uh, how did you say that? Um, emblematic for who they might be in the rest of their life. Emblematic. That's not a word I've used uh, in the last uh, f- yep. four or five years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that thought is not original to me. That comes from a scholar named Robert Alter. And okay. he wrote a wonderful book called um, the, uh, the, Biblical, the Art of Biblical Narrative. Okay. And um, that's his idea. I don't want to take credit for that. But he talks That's, about first first speech is very important. Okay, I did not know that, so this is very interesting. Thank you for that. Yes. So, um, so we have David modeling what it looks like to go after God's glory. But what does that mean for us personally? Because, like, when we're in a you know in the fight of our lives, I don't wake up every morning and you know I'm not I'm not gripped by a burning zeal to protect God's reputation. You know, usually I'm too fixated on myself. So, how does David's modeling apply to our lives? And there's basically two ways that it does. And the first is that David models what it's like to keep God ever before you in your line of sight when trouble comes. And I counted it up. David is basically the only person in this story to speak God's name, which he does nine times in the verses that I read to you. The Mm -hmm. only exception is Saul. When he briefly blesses, it's more like a formulaic blessing. It's like, you know, go, okay, well, if you want to fight, go out, go, go and fight in the name of the Lord. Saul says mm-hmm. that. But it's really David that keeps bringing God up. And interesting, David Lee, interestingly, David uses the phrase, the living God, which in Hebrew is Elohim Chaim, which is noteworthy because it's only used five places in the Bible, and it's twice by David in this story. So um, that's kind of noteworthy and and interesting to see. Um, So David is literally keeping God alive in his heart by speaking of him like he's very much a part of the current landscape. Yeah, no, that point is so wonderful. And I did not know because you do all this research and that this living God is mentioned five times, twice in this passage. And that point is coming alive in my heart right now. But we do have to go to break. 
So we'll be right back with Dr. Rebecca Ree. Uh, you can learn more about her at RebeccaRee.net, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E-E.net. We'll be right back. We are talking about the underdog today with Dr. Rebecca Ree. We're in 1 Samuel 17. And Rebecca, right before the break, you were talking about the significance of the living God being only in Scripture five times, twice in this chapter. And that was a, that left a big impression on me. So thank you for pointing that out. You do the kind of research that not many do. So I appreciate that. Well, and I'm going to talk about how what the living God can mean to us personally as a, as a phrase. So we talked about, you know, David modeling what it looks like to um, go after God's own heart. So he does this by, we said, speaking of him as very much as if he's very much part of the current landscape. Um, and I just wanted to point out that when we are in times of trouble and we're battling like the underdogs, that we should not underestimate the power of the simple prayer that I think saying out loud has power to it, but the simple prayer that says, I know that you are with me, living God. I know that you are with me, living God. Wow, I love that. That is drawing God into the current landscape, no matter what is happening, just like David. That is going after God's own heart. So just that simple phrase, I think that the enemy trembles when he hears us say that. And we think we have to get all elaborate, but sometimes just affirming that God is with us, the living God is with us, is a powerful prayer. So I know you are with me, the living God. Yes. That's, that's powerful. <laughs> the second way that David models what it's like to God, go after God's own heart is that he takes offense on God's part did you notice that he's like who is this philistine to keep you know taunting the armies of the living god and i thought about that because when i'm again in that underdog position i tend to get very meek and scared and um i thought what if you turn that around on its head and you started to kind of get like a holy attitude like david has (laughs) he's just this young kid but he's got attitude and when he hears goliath talking trash against israel you know he says who is this guy that he should taunt the armies of the living god and i thought you know what if we tried out the idea that oppression in our lives is a very real offense against a very real god that you know if we got that a little bit of that holy attitude and we said to that taunting or condemning or threatening voice in our head who are you that you should come against me the precious son or daughter of the living God. Mm. Just having some of that holy attitude. Yeah. Rebecca, I have this profound image in my head already that will never go away. Thank you for that. (laughs) So, okay, so that's um, our first little conflict of point of views with um, David's point of view conflicting with his older brother. So the second one out of three that I wanted to bring up today was the, the conflict in perspectives between David versus Saul. This one is not meddling versus modeling. This one is, 
principle versus personal. So the principle versus the personal. And, you know, as, as we grow up as adults, there's certain principles that we learn to believe in and see that the world operates by these principles like reaping and sowing and just there's other ones that are not biblical at all, but they kind of teach us how the world works and we unconsciously accept them as true. And one principle is, is that the strong always prevail over the weak. And that if two parties square off against each other, the more powerful is going to prevail. That just seems like common sense. And it's what's currently going on with the armies of Israel. They've bought into this common sense principle and they are trembling in their boots whenever Goliath comes out to to challenge them. But David doesn't seem to accept this principle and he holds to a more personal belief. And by personal, I mean, it derives from his own personal experience with the person of the living God. So you listen to this little exchange, which I've, you know, kind of paraphrased. David says to Saul, your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul says, you can't go out and fight this guy. You're going to get slaughtered. And David says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. In the Hebrew, when you read it, it's all hand. It's the hand of the lion, the hand of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So there's a direct correlation being made between the animals and this Philistine who he basically regards as an animal. And you know what I love about David's perspective here is that there's no incident in his past that is too humble or too particular to his own life to apply to a larger setting. Every interaction with God that he has, no matter what it is, counts. And it influences how he's processing his current circumstances. David doesn't see his deliverances as a shepherd as a fluke. He sees them as indicators of God's faithfulness in the present, that they're the rule and not the exception. And I thought to myself, how many times do we experience deliverance or intervention from God? But then later on down the line, when something comes up, we think that that doesn't apply somehow to our our current situation. And Mm -hmm. I call this like the, the that was then, but this is now kind of phenomenon that happens. It's like we forget. And we were just as, we're, we're not as um, quick to, to draw from our own personal experiences with God and remember them in the current moment. That's uh, just and like us, isn't it? It is. And I tell yeah. you, um, if you're raising children and they don't necessarily have to be special needs children like mine, um, this is one that gets you time after time. And every time the next situation comes, you get overwhelmed and hopeless again. Um, for me, it was... Um, You know, first we thought my son would never speak, and then we thought he'd never be potty trained, and then we thought, you know, the next thing comes and the next thing comes. Right now he's, we're trying very hard to get him to express his uh, emotions um, in a more mature way, Mm -hmm. and we're kind of like at our wits end again, you know, like overwhelmed, and it's difficult. Um, Oh, boy. Rebecca, let me take a short break, and we'll be right sure. back with uh, Dr. Rebecca Rhea as we continue our study in 1 Samuel 17 and The Underdog.
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. All right, that's what I call on radio really horrible timing. And I'm back uh, with some humility and uh, ex- asking uh, my guest, Rebecca Reeve, for some forgiveness. You were telling me some very sensitive, tender things about uh, your challenging uh, son with your parenting. And I had to cut you off because I had to go to break. And it was a hard break, so I had no option. So I apologize. And I would love for you to continue uh, the rest of that story. Um, that was about what I wanted to say, which was for all parents, that whenever we hit the next developmental pothole in their existence, we tend to um, have that, well, that was then, God, you know, that was then with God. This is now, um, are we going to, you know, is God going to deliver us through this one too? Um, Mm -hmm. So that, yeah. So that leads into my other point that I wanted to make about privileging our personal experiences with God versus a common sense. I mean, personal um, experiences with God versus a common sense principle in the world, which is um, when it comes to um, David getting out right before the battle, Saul puts his armor on him and David tries to walk in it and basically can't. And so he says, I can't, I can't use this. So he takes it off and he goes for the stuff that he knows. He takes his shepherd's stick and five smooth stones. And he says, you know, this, this is what he's going to do. He's going to head out to face the impossible enemy with these tools. And I think that when we are caught in a formidable challenge, we often try to be somebody that we're not. You know, we think we need that fancy armor. We need the perfect education, the perfect speech, the fi- perfect finances, the perfect reputation. We need x-ray vision into the situation. And we need all the self-confidence to win the battle. When the reality is, we would do so much better if we could lay all those things aside and trust that God's already prepared us just as we are, that we have what we need with our slingshot and our stones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I've mentioned this before on the show that um, when my, my son was first diagnosed with autism and we really started intensive therapy about age, she was a toddler, somewhere between 16 months and age two. Um, I, you know, I had gotten a doctorate in biblical studies and I told the Lord, you know, why am I, why did you immerse me in all this, you know, early childhood developmental therapy and stuff? I am not, you did not, I didn't say I did not, I, you did not prepare me for this. You know, what, why did I have to strive so hard for a degree that's basically useless in this situation? And I was basically saying, I don't have the proper armor. And God was basically telling me to look in my shepherd's pouch. And he said, I gave you two things through this grueling process of you getting your doctorate, which took nine years. He said, I gave you wisdom and I gave you endurance. He said, you have what you need. Take off the the armor of what you're not and look at what you are. So um, just want to encourage that, that, you know, to get quiet and see what God may have already put in your little shepherd's pouch um, and not to go for the king's uh, armor because it might not help you at all anyway. So the last conflict of perspectives that I wanted to speak to today is, of course, David versus Goliath. And we're going to call this conflict the walk by faith versus walk by sight conflicts. And that comes from, of course, 2 Corinthians 5-7. So listen again to what David says when he addresses Goliath for the first time. He says, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. So David is pitting the very visible advantage that Goliath brings to the battle against the invisible name of the Lord, who David believes controls the outcome and whom Goliath has deeply offended. In fact, David has so much faith in the God that he can't see um, versus the enemy that he can see that he even won up Goliath. Because Goliath says, I'm going to feed your carcass to the animals. And David responds, not only I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feed your carcass to the animals, but guess what? I'm going to feed the dead bodies of all of the army of the Philistines to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field, that the, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So he's basically saying, you know, not only are you going to be divinely slaughtered, but your whole army is going to be divinely slaughtered as well. Now, there were, um, there were some fighting words. There were some fighting words, but that was, yeah. that was the level of David's confidence in the walking by faith and not by sight. And I wanted to give like, that, that's a very grandiose picture. And, of course, we're starting to see David the poet in this, David the orator, David the one who one day will say, you know, Absalom, my son, my son, you know, or how the mighty have fallen. We're just seeing this speech come out of David. And so to bring it down to our level, um, I wanted to offer a personal illustration of what it's like to speak out this, I'm going to privilege walk by faith rather than walk by, by sight. And so this is a, kind of a funny story because I learned rather late in my life how to ride a bike. I was raised <laughs> on a tropical island, with, so mm-hmm. I swam very early in my life, but I never really, what do you, you know, ride a bike on the beach? Like, <laughs> no, I, that's not what I learned. So in my early 30s, we were living across the street from a church that had a nice parking lot that could be used when church wasn't in session. So my husband bought me like a little inexpensive, you know, learner's bike, and um, he was the one to teach me. But I did not have the instincts for riding a bike, and I wanted to go slow and be cautious because I was kind of scared. But as you know, anybody who rides a bike knows the slower you go, the less balance you have, right? It's Mm -hmm. the opposite. You need to go faster in order to maintain your balance. And so when I was, you know, getting really wobbly, my husband would call out, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. And he would kind of run alongside me, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. And that had, that little phrase has remained in our marriage that whenever I've faced some kind of long-term physical or mental health challenges, like I did when I was working on that PhD um, in Boston, you know, commuting back and forth, uh, my husband has often looked at me and said, keep pedaling. Meaning, you know, don't set your eyes on the impossible circumstances. Look up at God and put one foot in front of the other with me until God's deliverance comes. So when we tell a loved one who's struggling, I'm right here, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. You know, we help them focus on their savior rather than their struggle. We help them one up their problems and believe that God is going to answer with a decisive and comprehensive victory as he did with those Philistines. So um, speaking of victory, so what constitutes victory in this story? What is going after God's own heart when you're the underdog in your own personal narrative? And I would say it boils down to two things. We have to make sure that two truths are reigning in our hearts during the battle. 
And the first truth is, we kind of mentioned it already with that little prayer about the living God, I know you are here, that Mm -hmm. God is always there, whether we see him or not. And he's always in our hearts. And I just want to let you know, when I say the word heart, it's lave in Hebrew. The heart is not like this place of emotions. Like we think of like romance and all of that coming from the heart. In the, in the Hebrew Bible, the heart is the seat of making decisions. It's where decisions are made, where you go one direction or you go the other. And that's where we want to carry God's presence. Very, very real. It's a choice to say, I'm going to make decisions based on God being here. And, you know, like with my husband with running alongside and saying, keep pedaling, we're going to need help with that. And I would encourage, you know, you, if you're an underdog in battle, don't go it alone. Get some faithful, trusted people alongside you to, like, help keep God alive in your heart, in that place where you're making choices for yourself and what you're going to believe. And then the second truth that we have to pursue is that God's ways are higher than our ways and that his methods of winning battle are, me- are different from our methods of winning battle. Hmm. So we may naturally reach for the sword, the spear, and the javelin. But God may be asking us to reach for the stones instead, and we have to give him room and the time to do it his way. And again, I want to say it it makes all the difference to bring other faithful people alongside us to help us uh, give God that room to do it his way and on his terms. We're going to need some help with that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Dr. Rebecca Rhea is my guest. And if you just joined us, oh my, you've got to go listen to the beginning of this and make sure you get it all in because we're studying First uh, Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And if you've ever felt like you are an underdog, this is a message you're going to want to listen to more than once, um, I believe. Uh, Rebecca, some of the uh, the points you just recently made about the the idea of picking up the sword or picking up what you think you need versus what God is directing you to use and how that can sometimes just be not what you're thinking and not the direction you're going, but there you are reaching for what's in your shepherd's bag and what you know versus anything else. Yep. Yep. And to make it, not to put a too fine a point on it, but it was actually David's choice not to wear Saul's armor, not uh-huh. Saul's choice. David was the only one who could say, this does not fit. I can't move in this. Not like I need to move. And, uh, and it's <laughs> mm-hmm. funny because when Goliath came at him, David runs towards Goliath. He needed that mobility and that agility. And he never would have been able to run in the giant's direction face on if he hadn't no. had, if he hadn't been free enough to do that without the armor. So I'm looking at the, the passage here. And I don't remember uh, him running at Goliath, but that's a fascinating fact. Yep, he Um, runs towards Goliath. He does. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, it's it's really towards the end. um, Towards the end. uh, Yes, it's verse 48 of 17. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. Okay. So that's verse 17. First Samuel 17, verse 48. Yeah. It's funny because I've thought many, many times, because I've read this so many times, they ran toward the battle line, but I'm thinking, well, the battle line is Goliath. He's running toward Goliath. Yeah. 
And I sometimes would think, well, it's running into the arena to battle, but he's running at his enemy. Again, uh, you're uncovering some great nuggets here in this passage. Well, and that's in great contrast to when Goliath is still making those taunts every day. And we didn't go over that part, but I think he makes them for about 40 days. So there's about a month of this going on. And um, all the men of Israel, when they hear it, they run away. They run in the opposite direction of Goliath. But David's the one that runs towards him. Mm-hmm. It is uh, a grisly end for Goliath. And when you read the passage starting in 50, it, you start to realize that the victory was pretty sound and Goliath was not only defeated but beheaded. Right, and his whole army was uh, defeated as well. Yeah. Um, so just like just like David predicted that it would be. And um, that brings up the question, which is, if you're not feeling that victorious, are you feeling paralyzed? Are you wearing other armor that doesn't fit right because God never meant it for you? And if so, what could that armor be and what is he giving you instead? Like what personal encounter from the past with him can be your five stones? So okay, let, are you feeling paralyzed? Yeah, let's talk about that some more because what what would cause paralysis when you say you're wearing armor that you shouldn't be wearing? What is a what is a good illustration of that? Because I'm very interested in this. Yeah, I think mainly for me, you know that 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 phrase "deer in the headlights." I get uh-huh. paralyzed when usually that last conflict of perspectives of faith for walking by faith versus walking by sight. I have like 20, not only 2020 vision, I have, you know, 2030 vision. I've got perfect vision when it comes to spying out the trouble spots in my landscape, you know, uh-huh. like what, what's threatening me. And that can quickly become very overwhelming and very paralyzing. And that happens with my son because, um, you know, as he gets older, when he was little, it was a little easier because, you know, all toddlers are running around and doing immature things and, you know, acting funny and being loud. But as he grows older, he's 10 now, the gap between him and his peers is growing ever wider. And so um, he really does stand out. So I can feel sometimes paralyzed when I compare him to other children that are uh, neurotypical while he's neurodivergent. And so I have to make the decision, am I going to be paralyzed by, you know, all this mountain of stuff that separates him you know, his deficits, his developmental deficits that separate him from his peers, or am I going to look at how far he's come in his own life, how far God has brought him? Like the fact that he can even speak a few words when we thought he would never even speak. Some of the things I was bringing up earlier in the show that we thought would never happen um, that are, that have happened. Um, so that, and that would be a personal experience to like bring into the next David, the underdog story, which is, Okay, there's going to be another. You know, we're never going to run out of underdog fights in our life. I hate to say this side of heaven, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're going to see them again and again. And that's why Jesus kept saying, "Let not your hearts be troubled." Uh, you know, believe believe in me. I give you peace, not as the world gives. I mean, Jesus looked like the ultimate underdog. He he didn't. You know, he went to the cross. I guess without any armor on him. He, mm-hmm. In fact, you could say he kept peeling back his po- power. At the very end, just as he was about to do, the, you know, his greatest victory 
And the thing for which he had come, he was peeling off layer after layer of any armor or power that he had. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, you just mentioned John fourteen twenty seven, a verse I love. Peace is what I leave with you. It is my own peace I give you. I always think he's got this private stash of peace that only he has that he gives us. And who doesn't want that? Right. And it has to be on his terms. And sometimes we have to struggle a little bit to get to the place where we're willing to accept that it's probably better to grasp the bull by the horns and, and struggle with coming to terms with his terms rather than doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. All right, let me take a little break. Dr. Rebecca Ree is my guest. And if you are uh, just joining us, you're stepping into an amazing teaching on First uh, Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And if you missed any of it, I always encourage you to go to the website, myfaithradio.com, and check out the podcast. We'll be right back with Dr. Rebecca Ree. You can learn more about her at rebeccaree.net. She spells her last name R-H-E-E, rebeccaree.net. Be right back. back with Dr. Rebecca Ree as we are studying uh, 1 Samuel 17, the amazing story of David and Goliath. And we talk about an underdog story. Here's one of the great ones in Scripture. And if you have not studied this, uh, just so you know, Rebecca has offered some amazing insights in this chapter. A couple of things I've jotted down. And one of my favorite things is to repeat, I know you are with me, the living God. That's one that I will repeat daily, Rebecca, thanks to you and thanks to uh, your inspiration from what you got out of First Samuel 17. Well, you know, we don't often say all of God's names. And the fact that that's a pretty rare name and the fact that it's used only five times in the whole Hebrew Bible in that form. There are other places that another, another phrase is used that's like that, but it's not exactly that. Um, and that David basically can be uh, attributed you know, half of them can be attributed to David. It's pretty, pretty important. And something about living God. Um, I tried to like ask myself what the Hebrew Bible might be um, meaning by that. I read one commentator who said, well, you know, trying to pose the idea of a very living God versus, you know, an inert idol who's not alive, who's, you know, can't respond to your prayers versus the living God. But that's true, but I don't think that captures the whole of it, and I'm not sure I've been able to come up with an answer, um, except that it, it kind of leaves the top off of, you know, the uh, the vessel, and you mm-hmm. and, and you, you got to, you know, there's a lot, can, a lot can be poured into that, and a lot can be poured out. Um, it's kind of inexhaustible when you say the living God, but mm-hmm. it just reminds you that he's very much present um in, this, in your current circumstances, whether you feel him or not. And again, it's a very powerful prayer. I think one of the ways we, we get paralyzed when we're in an underdog situation is our tongues get really tied. And we might be feeling pressure to pray all these elaborate prayers that, like, touch on every point and, you know, uh, our warfare prayers, when actually, you know, David makes some pointed statements, but in this story, he's not – 
you know, going on and on and on. Um, he just makes some very pointed statements, which he, you know, refers to one more than once, which is you keep taunting the armies of the living God and you're going to pay for it. And he says that more than once. So uh, I think sometimes just affirming those truths is about what we can handle. And it's exactly what's needed. I know you're with me, living God. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca, God has certainly equipped us, all of us. Uh, to do his work, and sometimes we all we have to do is be aware and be prepared to use what God has given us, because David, although he took five smooth stones from the brook, he knew how to use that sling, didn't he? He did, and um, again, he had to be set free from the things that, you know, would have been the obvious choices to arm himself with. He had to get out of that king's armor first and i i know for myself i often expect myself to be like prescient you know kind of when i'm running into a situation that we're on the underdog especially when it comes to like figuring out the mystery of whatever my son's going through at the at the moment i often feel like i have to i, I said it before have some kind of special x-ray vision into the situation <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and i think as christians we can often become guilty of that because sometimes god does um, privilege us with sort of, I don't want to say um, like x-ray vision, but he often lets us see to the heart of things. If we pray, if we show that we're committed enough in prayer, he'll often say, you know, this is what the heart of the matter is. Pray into this. Um, and so we can sometimes get confused and think we have to always have x-ray vision into a situation in order to overcome it. And um, I think that um, spells death to our faith. That's not exercising our faith muscle very well. Mm-hmm. It's um, trying to see something for yourself so then you can go and do something about it by yourself. Um, I'm often trying to, I'm like the gerbil on the wheel, you know, just trying to problem solve one thing after another. And then I realized, you know, half a day later, a day later, I didn't actually sit down and pray about this. I didn't even give this two minutes of prayer. I was too busy making phone calls and looking up things on the internet and trying to like get things in place <laughs> for my son. I mm-hmm. didn't actually pray about this yet. I didn't bring this up to the living God and say, wow. you know, what's, what's your, what are your smooth stones here? Like, didn't, cause like David didn't bring the stones. There was, he didn't know there was a brook there, but there is a brook there. <laughs> and it has what he needs. <laughs> what it has yeah. what he needs. That's so amazing. It's in like verse 45, but David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear and a saber but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you and remove your head from you. I love that attitude. Yes, that's definitely that, that copying that holy attitude of how dare you. Yeah. And I'll give you a very personal example of this, and it might it's not the most shining example of my life, but <laughs> I'll share with you anyway. So um, I was, for one reason or another, strugg- it's a long story, but I was struggling having to drive this certain route on the highway where I am, where there's a left-hand exit onto this big bridge. And I don't like driving on the highway. You know, 40 miles an hour is plenty of fast for me. I don't like to let you get up there. And, of course, it being a left-hand exit that goes right onto this huge bridge um, was very scary for me. And I, I had to do it one day, and I was driving. And as I was driving, I could hear this voice, and it was very loud in my head saying, 
oh, well, you're just going to die and you're just going to, you know, drive right into the divider and your, your son is going to be without, you know, his, uh, his mother and, you know, all this bad stuff is going to happen to you. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And I was like having panic attacks practically mm-hmm. as I was getting closer and closer to this bridge. And then all of a sudden something turned inside of me and I got really offended. And let's just say I started speaking back like, wait a minute, who are you to tell me? You don't get to decide life or death for me. You don't get to decide. And so some very colorful language started coming out of me (laughs) as I spoke spoke back to this voice in my head that I'm sure came from the pit of hell. And I was telling it to go right back to hell where it came from. I love it. But it's just that idea of we, we sometimes are so indifferent or plugged into other things that we don't tap into that. You know, we're so precious to God and whatever um, comes against us comes against God. We need to have that holy attitude. And just like David was like, I'm a precious little shepherd. You know, his older brother is trying to put him down. You're just a shepherd. Who did you leave those few sheep with and come here? But David's saying, I'm a precious uh, instrument of God. Look how he delivered me and he's going to deliver me again. So good. The teaching is amazing. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for being on the show. Always great to have you on. Thank you. Like coming home. You bet. Dr. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. You can learn more about her at RebeccaRee.net. She spells her last name R-H-E-E. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.